This is Kari Gale. And this is Tony Critz. Welcome to the Pilgrim Lost Podcast, a space for those who wander and wonder. Hey everybody, it's Tony again. And Kari. And we're back with another episode of the Pilgrim Lost Podcast. And we have a special guest with us, but before we go there, Kari made me a nice cup of Earl Grey. It's actually Earl Grey with a little bit of orange, which is called Lady Grey, just for the, those of you that are not familiar. Ah, fabulous. You cannot buy it here. It is actually imported from the UK. Outstanding. So all the slurping you hear will be Lady Grey throughout the podcast. Um, Kari, how are you doing? I'm good. It's a good day today. It's beautiful weather. Oh. Mellow. September is always great in Oregon. September in Portland is perfect. Uh, walking around with the family today was just outstanding, so... Took the dogs for a walk, built a shelf. Hey, that, <laughs> you were so enterprising in the morning. I think I got up and I had coffee and now I'm on to tea. So that's nice. about as much as I did. Great. Well, you, um, you brought a friend with you today. I did. Um, I, we are here today with Bryce Langston. And Woo-hoo. I just got, I, I would say he's a new friend because I just literally met him two days ago for the first time. But many of you know him from... His incredible YouTube channel, Living Big in a Tiny House, and um, most of us followed these videos. Years. Well, my boyfriend actually, before he even met me, when I met him and told him that this was happening, or when I found out that that I was going to actually be on the show, he was like, wait, the show? We've been following that show. His daughter is actually, um, his daughter Lauren is a a great fan. And so she had to fill me in on how awesome this YouTube channel was. So I actually found out about the show through my friend Carissa, who was um, an episode on their YouTube channel. And she had built a tiny house and she was one of my first inspirations as I had never actually walked into a tiny house before I walked into hers. Hmm. And she was building it with her dad. So I got to see part of the build process. And then I went off to travel and came back and it was finished. And um, then I got to see the episode on Living Big in a Tiny House. So through my Instagram, Carissa had actually come to my tiny housewarming party and posted a picture of my house. And Bryce and his partner Rasa contacted me and said, hey, we'd love to come over and take a look at your house. So that's what happened. And two days ago, we we filmed and it was such a good experience. It was super fun, but um, I'm, I feel like I'm going to be a YouTube star, Tony. Oh, you do? Yeah. <laughs> wait, 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 wait to set the bar. <laughs> My one episode is going to shoot me into the stratosphere, I'm sure of it. But well, actually, the, the person that we want to bring into the conversation now is Bryce. So Bryce, welcome to our show. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. And I'm looking forward to you absolutely skyrocketing to internet stardom it's gonna be a lot of fun hey that and my on your coattails that on my and my karaoke is really gonna make it i just know it i've always meant to be on some sort of a stage so here we go it's destiny it's destiny (laughs) how's uh how's your visit been to portland amazing this is such a great city every time i come back to the pacific northwest it actually feels like coming home yeah yeah it's very very similar in so many ways to new zealand where where i live and where i grew up so i always feel extra good when i'm back here in the pacific northwest didn't you say as well that you guys you guys have a tiny house of course at home in new zealand and you also have a tiny house that you have here in the states yes that's right and you 
possibly are going to be moving it. Yeah, yeah, we're sort of looking into options for that at the moment. We've got a, a really good setup where we're where we are. I'm lucky enough to have an auntie who lives in Missouri. And they had five acres of land there with a concrete pad that already had all of the RV hookups and everything. So it was the perfect place to park our tiny house. Um, but we are looking into potential options of bringing it here to the northwest and, and places where it's actually easier for us to fly direct into. Because obviously, middle America, there's sort of an extra step right. that's involved in getting sure. there. So we're sort of just looking into options at the moment. And you guys travel a ton. So that's a huge thing for you. Yeah, we'll pretty pretty much be traveling easily 10 months out of the year, every year. Well, I found out I when it comes to producing something creative and something as well done as you guys do, it's an intense process. And I was talking to Rasa, and she said, you guys produce a show a week. Yeah, one episode every week. Which blows my mind. Well done, you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh and it's being part of the process of filming just a few days ago and how much work goes into it. It's just the two of you right now. It's just the two of us, yeah. Which, if you see the show, you think there's like a whole film crew. And I found out the film crew is actually Rasa popping around, like up on the couches and over here and up on a ladder and outside. And it, it was amazing. I was so impressed with uh, the work that you do and the ease of it, but also just the professionalism. So thank you. It was oh, super fun to be part of the process. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, we've been doing the show now for about six years, so we've had a bit of time to refine the process and kind of yeah. get it a bit dialed in as to how to produce and how to, how to make the show work. Uh, times like this are really hectic though. We, um, we had bought a truck here in the States with the intention of turning it into a camper and I'm not going to bore you with all of the details, but we had uh, roadblock after roadblock that final, so finally sort of just became massive mechanical issues. So we uh, we lost a whole month of our oh. travel trying to sort all of that out, which meant all of our shoots, all of our um, or all of our filming and travels here was it had to be compacted into the space of just over a month. So you're sort of meeting us in a super hectic cat, playing catch up time right now. So well. And I just want to say th so much. Thank you so much for being here on our podcast because it's just so gracious of you to take the time to do that because I know you are um, really busy. Oh, it's totally my pleasure. So, Tony, one of the things that you were wanting to bring into this conversation is, of course, pilgrimage. How does pilgrimage even relate to tiny houses? Okay, before we get into that. Do tell. Yeah, so I... I want to just kind of touch a little bit on, on your story because the two of you have really reorganized your life to sort of spend your time curating the stories of people who are choosing to live small. Mm. Is that an accurate way of saying it? Absolutely. So it's a full-time job. It's yeah. year round. Yeah. And you spend all your time. I mean, what, what, what caused you to go? This is, this is a worthwhile use of a life. To go and, and collect these sorts of stories. Me as a story collector, I, I just love the thought of that. And I wanted to hear how you ended up there. Well, I guess it's tied in with why I started the YouTube channel to begin with. I never expected it to turn into what it has today. But I, I grew up and I, I live in a town which is really, really expensive. We're at, we actually sit at number four on the housing affordability index. Right. So it, it means that for people my generation and younger, we're known as generation rent because we're never expected to be able to right. afford to own our own home. 
So I saw so many people in my generation and younger generations who were really struggling under this model. And I got really excited at the concepts of alternative living and wanted to sort of create a project that would showcase some of those uh, those aspects of alternative living just to let people know that there, there was kind of a light at the end of the tunnel. There were other options out there. Right. And that was something that I got really excited about. And in terms of, I guess, why I kept doing it, I guess part of it is... It, uh, it hit a chord with people and I was able to continue producing and, and uh, you know, grow this incredible audience and this incredible community. And I do still each and every day feel like our show is out there helping people. I'll, I'll get emails each and every week from people who will say to me, I've I'd given up on the idea that I would ever be able to own my own home. But this week, my family and I have just moved into this incredible, beautiful, tiny house that we just built. And so I, I love that. And I, and I feel like, I, you know, I, I often refer to, uh, to my show as consciousness disguised as house porn. Because I feel like so much of it is, is kind of about... That is amazing. Yeah, like so much of it is about the house. But the underlying themes are about what can you really do with your life if you become financially free if if rent and mortgage and living isn't a struggle what what possibilities does that open up for you so i guess there's just there's a lot in what i'm doing that i can feel really good about consciousness disguised as house porn that's the one perfect I, I, <laughs> half of me just wants to end the podcast right there but we're going to press forward so um there's your title right now uh, that might be the title <laughs> of the episode i love it so uh the the genesis of our project this pilgrim lost thing is um so kari and i are old friends uh we've known each other for 20 almost 20 years 20 years and we've both done these long distance treks uh, most notably across Spain. And I did it partially based on her story. And when I came back, I came back about a year and a half ago and have been resting in that experience a lot. And I, I'm a writer and a filmmaker by trade. And so I'm, when a story hits me, I can't sort of shake it. And part of my meditation around it was that I couldn't shake the idea that I had experienced something magical. By walking across Spain in this very, very simple life where everything I had was in a backpack and I lived for six weeks and my routine was very, very simple and I wasn't using my phone and all those sorts of things. That released something magical inside of me. And um, when I came back and after oh, a year or so back, I, I, I sat down with Kari about it and I'm like, Am, am I crazy that I'm still feeling this a year later? She's like, no, this is exactly what I'm feeling. And part of why my life is the way it is today. I know. I know. And so we got to talking. And if it is in fact magical, which we're convinced it is, then it must be inherently human. It must be tapping into something that's inherently human. And if something inherently human, then it cannot be predicated on privilege. It, it, it can't, if it is inherently human, it must be accessible to all people you don't. You don't need to take a month off and to spend a couple thousand dollars and go to the other side of the world and be released from your life. There must be a way to do it in the everyday. There must be a way to experience it in the nine to five life. There must be a way to experience it in this neighborhood living. So can we sort of explore that? And then you, I mean, from my world, you know, where I live through my laptop and I watch YouTube, 
you, I would go, this person must be an expert in simplicity, at least in the story of simplicity with all that you've done or minimalism or however you would define it. And what I would love to hear you just comment on is when I walk around, I am witnessing something magical that actually may be even the opposite of privilege in the sense that people are actually living, getting into a smaller economic footprint. They're getting into a smaller requirement of life. And can you just tell me, am I crazy to say that simplicity is a part, that there's a magic to it? Absolutely not. Absolutely not crazy. I mean, uh, I think that we live in this really hectic, really unnatural world where so many pressures are just layered upon us. And and I think that there is a, a very innate, natural aspect of ourselves that drives us towards simplicity. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's it's certainly not necessarily something that I've mastered myself um, because I, I feel like, you know, quite often doing what I'm doing, we, we are, we're on the road, we have quite a hectic, fast-paced lifestyle. Right. And, and while, you know, some aspects we have sort of really dialed in like certain aspects of minimalism and the concept of living out of a backpack and all of that sort of thing. But even within that, that, uh, traveling minimalist lifestyle, the, the greater world at play can still sort of layer those stresses and pressures Mm. onto you. But I think the, um, I think the human mind is, is designed for stillness. And I think that we live in these really really tough, really artificial environments that consistently place unnatural stresses on us. Um, I don't know if, if you've ever heard of something called biophilic design. This is, a, uh, this is something that I've been studying at the moment, which is relating to the way that we build our houses. So biophilia relates to an innate human connection and love and appreciation for the natural world. But it actually goes much deeper than that. And it, they did these studies where... Uh, where young people were shown images of the forest, right? And the part of our brain that lights up when we look at a forest is a part of our brain that, that is a very old, very evolutionary part of, of our, our mind, which we innately can understand forest environments, natural environments. You take those same study subjects and you show them a picture of a suburb or a city, artificial built environments. And the part of our brain that lights up is the same part of our brain that deals with complexity and problem solving, which is also responsible for our our fight or flight response, right? So it's really fascinating that... And anxiety. And anxiety, exactly. So you think about that. And now this is true even if even if the test subjects had never been in a forest or, and which blows my mind, but like, right. let's say you, you grew up in a city that your brain still just by being in that built environment is being activated in its center, which is responsible for your fight or flight response. So you've got this baseline level of anxiety, even just existing in your built environment before you go out into the world. Right. So I, I think that's a really great example. And, and sort of going back to the biophilic design and architecture, it's sort of how we bring nature and how we bring elements of natural design into our built environment to lessen that effect. But, uh, but it really goes to show that, you know, that is one example of how just existing in this modern world puts us into an unnatural state of being. Mm. And I would even venture to say that going back to that idea of walking where you're spending literally eight hours a day in the natural environment, in that space, that that to me was a huge part of 
that even though you're moving, you're really being still in this, in this sort of, um, your mind. I mean, I think some people, you talk to people about what they process when they walk and it, you know, it's a variety of things, but usually it takes a couple hours for the mind to, to sort of go through all the distractions and the thoughts. And then finally, there's a certain point in the day where you then relax and you have that stillness. And I think a huge part of that is that you're outside. And so I can absolutely see how that would, I mean, impact everyone. And I think part of that idea, it's interesting because for my tiny house, people are always really concerned that I'm going to be claustrophobic. (laughs) We laughed a little bit because of my height. Most people look at me and don't. They they are very taken aback by the fact that I have a tiny house and they they are very concerned for me. <laughs> and um, the thing is, is I actually have windows all along one side. And when you do see this episode uh, on on the show, um, I have this garden and that garden changes really everything in the fact that I get to see this beautiful greenery every day. So it, it really does impact you. And I mean, that design, I think some of the most you know, well-known architects that are, have, have stamped our times have brought the in, outside in. And um, so it's an interesting, I, I've never heard that word before, but I'm going to look it up. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense when you really think about it. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. How much does moving to a smaller economic and organizational footprint, how does that affect a, a person's life, do you think? How does that affect the experience of being human? It's a really tough question because I think it would uh, it would certainly mean different things for different people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there there are people out there who I'm sure would hate it. <laughs> um, I think I think what I what it does for me though, because that's something that I can speak to, is that it allowed me to move through the world in a way that was more about my my own choosing Mm, it gave me the ability to make decisions that i potentially wouldn't have otherwise been able to make if i were only worried about how i was going to make ends meet and i mean a great example of that is even starting my youtube show i mean it takes a long time to 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 build up and it took me years until i was really making any money from it uh, and the reason that I was able to actually keep doing it was because at the time I was living in a in a bell tent in the forest. You know, I had a very simple, beautiful. Um, it was it was definitely glamping, but I, you know, I had a beautiful setup there, and I had uh, one 150 watt solar panel, which I charged my laptop and my drone and my cameras off of, and I I was living simply myself, and that gave me the the space and the financial break to be able to actually engage in a passion process project so i think that that is something that it offers people it offers people an opportunity to to get out of the the rat race a little bit we are in so many ways in our culture slaves of debt society mm-hmm. if you've got debt over your head if you you know if you live in a city like, I mean, I, I don't know what your average rent prices are here in Portland, but I mean, it's not uncommon here in the States to be spending $500 a week on your rent, $2,000 a month. Mm-hmm. That's 500 bucks a week that you've just got it's pretty to come up with. To have $1,500 for a studio apartment. Yeah. In Portland. In Portland. Yeah. yeah. And that's just to get by. That's like the first thing. That's before you worry about whether you can feed yourself or anything like that. 
you know, and, and I think that if you can put yourself in a circumstance where you can get a little break from that, then so many of us would make completely different choices in our life. Well, it's really interesting because when I went to travel, I had made a choice. I didn't have, I had, I had gotten a severance package. Mm-hmm. It was around $8,000 after taxes because they take about half of it here. Mm. And, or at least in the state of Oregon. And people would come up to me and they said, oh my gosh, I wish that I could do what you're doing. And all I had done was basically take eight grand and sell all my things. But that concept was so foreign to people um, I said, well, actually, you you can you can make that choice too. It, it, it I didn't my grandma didn't die and leave me an inheritance. I I didn't you know there wasn't really any big uh, change in my life except for a decision that I made. And I think the same thing sort of happens with living situations in some ways. The thing that you asked me one of the when you were interviewing me the other day and you said, you know, what what would you say the biggest thing that having a tiny house, I can't remember, you phrased it much better because you're so good at it. But the word that I came up with was freedom. Mm. And freedom mm. is, to me, that ability to make those decisions to change you know, what I'm doing and how I'm living my life and what I'm spending my time and energy on. Um, if, what, if living simply allows me to have more freedom, to me, that, that's gold. It's yeah. gold. And especially in the context of a tiny house, what I think that does really uniquely is it's freedom combined with security. Because Absolutely. when you have that tiny house, you've also got that safety blanket, right? Like it takes a lot of guts to sell up all of your possessions, put a backpack on your back and head out into the world. And, you know, who knows what from there? Like that's a tremendously courageous thing to do. But having the tiny house, it means that you know, one of the things that I said when I built my tiny house was that this, there's only so far I can fall now. Mm. Does that make sense? Absolutely, you know, yeah. like having that, that debt free little, small, simple roof over my head. That means I never have to be homeless. I never have to worry about not having a place to rest my head at night. And it gives me freedom in the world to go out and do these amazing things that I feel so blessed to be able to do. But on the, at the same time, it also gives me that that safety blanket to fall on if I need it. Well, I would I would agree with that, especially in the fact that most people, I think a, a factor of that that person saying to me, "I can't go do that," is the is the retirement that in our you in our you know our culture retirement is such a big deal. Are yeah. you reti- are you saving? Are you saving? Do you how much do you have in your four hundred one k and I spoke a little bit with you about this on Thursday that a big thing for me was actually taking money out of my 401k to build this house. And I feel like that, yes, that was a big decision. It was, it was a a conscious decision. I did a lot of research before I did it, but for me, it was more important that I have the ability to pursue a creative life. And that meant stepping away from a corporate career, which meant stepping away from a 401k savings plan. Well, you know, you can still save, but it's not quite the same. The corporation really, really bolsters that because they generally match it. So to step away from that security is a big deal, especially for most Americans. You know, we talked a little bit about healthcare and the things that surround all the money things, but, but the idea that no matter what, I have a house now. And I 
I also love the fact that, you know, I can move it. If I change plans, if I decide to pursue something in another place, I can move it. It, in all aspects, it provides freedom for me. And that to me is peace of mind. And so even though it feels riskier, it feels in some ways very trendy right now to do this thing, it actually is for me, it's peace of mind. It feels very responsible actually. Yeah. Right? Yeah, without a doubt. And I mean, you know, it's, it, it's such a hard one because life just throws us curveball after curveball and we never really know what's coming around the corner. I, I mean, the sad thing is that we do have this element of our culture in the West where life is, it seems to all be about building up to retirement. But there's no guarantee, first of all, that you get there. And there's secondly, no guarantee what kind of state you're going to be in to enjoy it when you do get there. And so I think that in many ways, we do kind of have our priorities backwards a little bit because, you know, when you live your whole life about material acquisition, it, what do you lose in the process of that? And you don't get to take any of it with you. No, you sure don't. Well, so much of this process is countercultural. It's it's sort of daring to stare into the fire hose of messages and say, I'm 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 going to think differently, I'm going to believe differently about who I am. I mean, here in the States, we talk about the American dream. When you talk about the American dream, the immediate next phrase people say is have a two car garage. Like that's the that's the first, and then you go, and the backyard, and the 2.5 children, and there's this sort of these I always wonder about the 0.5 child. I know, I, what is the 0.5 child? I say 2. 5 children. <laughs> I'm like, I feel so bad <laughs> for that half the, of a child. The 0.5 is a dog, right? I'm pretty I sure that's it. Maybe. I, I and I just, I mean, I'm really struck by, uh, there's, almost a, there's almost a revolutionary spirit to it to say, I know, I know um, my, I know I'm going to, do things that people are gonna they're gonna question and they're gonna wonder if I'm being wise, um, and yet ultimately there there's I, I see a greater wisdom in it so often. Is that what you experience? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I think I think there is within this tiny house movement there are ideas that we can all connect with on a really deeper level, and I think that that's why so many people resonate with the tiny house concept and even people who look at it and just think I could never do that myself I could never live in a space that that's 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 so small I think within so many of us we do have a deep yearning for simplicity for unwinding and uncomplicating our lives and making decisions which put us in a place to actually be able to prioritize our own well-being for a change. I, I watch your show, and I, a lot of people watch your show, 2.5 million subscribers or whatever it is. and um, A lot. Just say a lot. And <laughs> the people you have on the show, they're pretty sparkling people by and large. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're interesting, they're creative, they're articulate, they tend to be fairly good looking. <laughs> the, the people that you interview, I mean, I just, across the board. There's then, an interview process, Tony. You have to go through a whole thing about like how, you know. And can, I can see why you rose to grueling. the top, yeah. sorry. Oh, okay. I can see why you rose. Um, oh, stop it. No, keep going. Uh, and there's some people who, who, who think this stuff is, it's just kind of for hipsters or it's just for you know, the beautiful few or something, you know, can you just kind of speak to how 
that's that you see it as being more than that or is it more than that it we've met people from all walks of life from people who are just starting out to people who are having families to people who are retiring into tiny houses from uh, business professionals, doctors, lawyers, accountants, right the way through to your crazy artists and hula hoop dancers and musicians. I mean, everybody across all walks of life, there are so many reasons why people are being drawn to this movement. So I, I don't think it's it's an exclusive club in any way, shape or form. I will say that each and every person who we interview on the show and who I've met that lives in a tiny house, they do have some interesting stuff going on in their lives. They tend to be people who are solution-based, out-of-the-box thinkers, people who in general are not willing to do, uh, are not against the idea of doing something that maybe goes against the grain a little bit. Uh, and quite often they are doing really unique and interesting things in the world. And, and part of that, I think, is because the, the freedom of living in a tiny house has afforded them the ability to do that. And I, I notice one of the things you really focus on when you interview people, often you do, and it's great, it's one of the reasons why people love the show so much, is you love to dig into each person's creative expression and how their home really is an extension of themselves as opposed to moving into a suburb where all the houses look the same there's very much uh, uh, an emanation and a manifestation of a personality that happens when creating a tiny home um, so I think do you want to comment on that at all before well I yeah I mean I, I think I think that that uh, the the tiny homes that people build they have to be a reflection of them Right. It's so important because when you're when living you're, in one room, <laughs> when you're yeah, when you're living in a small space, it's got to work for you. And yeah. so, uh, you know, in my book, I talk about this as well. You know, that my number one design concept is you have to get to know yourself mm. because and, and then you have to design your space in accordance with your needs and be honest about who you are and how you use your space and the things that you need in your home. Because if you're not designing for the person that you are then you're not going to be happy with your house when you're designing a, a big home you can have all of these features you can have a big kitchen you can have a study right. you can have spare rooms all of these things but when you're designing a tiny house each and everything that you add to the space means that something else has to be subtracted from it so becoming really hyper aware of who you are and how you use your space is really important in making the design work for you. Kari's house is a great example of that. She's tall like me and you go up to her kitchen countertops and they're, they're nice and high, you know, I, I could do the dishes in that sink, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so, so that's a great example of how she's really thought about a way to customize the space to make it more suitable for her. And then she'll go into a much, much larger kitchen now, just like me and go to one of those lower bench tops and be really uncomfortable working in the right. kitchen. So it's, it's just little things like that that can make all the difference. It, but, I mean, Kari's an artist. Mm -hmm. She's a designer. She used to design uh, in the corporate world. Her dad is a fabricator. Her ex-husband is a contractor. I mean, she's like the perfect cocktail for somebody to design and build a tiny house. Most people out there in the world go, I don't think I could do this. I don't think I Well, could. what's so interesting, I would debate you on that because Ooh. I think... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, it's on. Where's the popcorn? No, it's interesting because I think with tiny homes, in the stories that I've heard, uh, in my you know year two years in this world, which is much less than yours, but people somehow 
it's interesting because somehow the house being smaller, it feels like something people can take on. They're like, you know what? I wouldn't, they wouldn't go and say they're going to design a 3000 square foot house, but because they know they're going to have this very intimate, um, very, um, close space, they somehow, they, they allow themselves to take that on and they want to express themselves where they wouldn't do it if they were going to build a, a, a normal size home. And the ironic thing is my dad is, is a retired architect and he said to me that the tiny house was his most challenging project in his entire career. Mm-hmm. And the reason why that is, is that he said, it's like a Swiss watch. He said every single piece from where are you putting that outlet? Because there's no room for that outlet anymore. Or how are you going to move that piece back and forth? And he, um, he really went back to the drawing board multiple times to try to really make the home as efficient as possible. And, and so it's, it's a little bit interesting that not only we have an architect saying this is the most difficult project to make this really, really streamlined and efficient, and yet we have a lot of people saying, hey, I think I can do this. And I think that's really kind of amazing that you have this sort of juxtaposition of the two. But one thing that my dad did say about when he, as he was watching your show, Bryce, is he celebrated and loved the idea that people are going back to this idea of, I can build this with my own hands. And we've lost a lot of that. And tiny houses, I think, are, re- are bringing that idea back because people want to put their stamp on it. Would you say that's true? Absolutely. I mean, I, th- I think that looking at a tiny house, there are certainly elements to the design which are more complex, as we talked about before. But at the same time, it is being a smaller home. It, it does have that feeling of being a little bit more bite-sized. And I think people who would never consider building a conventionally sized house will look at a tiny house and think, okay, this is something which I can manage. And my favorite stories are all of these DIYers that I meet who have never built anything before and will construct these absolutely beautiful homes just from watching YouTube tutorials. Anything that you need to, to know how to do, you can find a video on YouTube that'll tell you how to do it. And, and it's really exciting p- people seeing, it's re- really exciting to see people be empowered to be able to actually take on these projects and, and have that, at the end of it, sense of pride wrapped up in this home that they've been able to build for themselves and then carry those skills that they've learned in the process through into the future with them. I think it's a phenomenal thing. So if somebody wants to move on from house porn to actually <laughs> dating the idea of a tiny home what are some i mean for people who maybe don't see themselves as super creative or don't see themselves as designers or never built anything like what are some what are some really practical things that they can start to do to learn how to do it or to find the right friends to help them get it done or whatever one of the great things about the tiny house movement is that there is amazing community built up around it Mm. from builders in the community through to DIYers to designers and just people who have interests in it. Almost everywhere you go, you'll be able to find online groups or even sometimes meetup groups in your area of tiny house enthusiasts who come together and share ideas and, and also uh, swap and help each other out. Um, One of the things that we love doing is uh, workshops. There's a lot of really great tiny house workshops that you can go to where people will actually teach you all of the skills and you'll potentially build a tiny house 
uh, together with a bunch of other students. And then those students all take and swap each other's numbers. And then when they're all building their own tiny houses, they've got other groups of people that they can draw from to help out. And there is just such great community around all of this that you will always be able to find, you'll always be able to find guidance in the next step. One of the, uh, that the, that's a perfect description of, of where I built my tiny house, which is called Green Anchors, and it's right. an industrial park right under the St. John Bridge here in Portland, and you walk onto the lot, and it's 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 almost like a playland. It, it's amazing. There's usually six to seven tiny houses being built. There's uh, shipping containers being converted. There's, uh, you know, metal workshops things going on down there and really it is like a community people would walk over and exchange ideas or if you needed some help in a particular moment you would run over to the next side and say hey I need three people and they'd all jump over and um, it was really a wonderful experience and um, and for us in Portland because I didn't have a a site to build on I knew where I was going to move my tiny house when it was finished but I was able to rent this site and then sort of in in kind of along free along with it came this sort of expertise and community that I enjoyed while while renting that space and I think that's probably the case in a lot of cities a lot of places and one of the other things I love is that so many people I'm not one of those people but so many people have this experience and they're so like you said, inspired by it, they want to share it. And so some of the books I downloaded were by people that had no experience prior, went through the whole process and documented it, and then uh, created a, a guide and created uh, you know literature for those of us that are on the other side of it. So there's lots out there. And, and, um, and usually it's, it's written and done in a very simple way because they know they're dealing with people that, that are not you know uh, contractors. So, yeah. Yeah. You, uh, you started this dialogue with the phrase consciousness disguised as houseborn. <laughs> yeah. So if, if you're fostering consciousness, it implies that there's a lack of consciousness, that there's an unconsciousness going on in our culture today. Mm-hmm. And I would agree with that statement. Mm-hmm. That's deep, deep concern of mine in all the work that I do. Um, can you can you comment on that? Can you comment on the unconsciousness that you see and yeah. why that bothers, or what what you see and why that why you're worried about it? Have you ever been told you just have to live in the real world? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So let's just break down that statement for a second, because when people say you have to live in the real world, what are they really talking about, right? They're talking generally about oh, you have to pay your taxes, oh, you have to rules maybe yeah, all of these rules for life, and you know. But when you break it down, what is the real world? Right, the real world is a place where food grows on trees, where water falls from the sky, and where nature affords us absolutely everything that we need to live and be happy. Right, Mm -hmm. everything else. When they talk about that, what they're talking about is actually a social contract, and it's one that none of us ever actually got to sign was a social contract that we were born into where we're expected to live by these rules of society. And those rules were never created because that was what was good for us, was never created because that was the way that we live our best lives. They were created so that we could become cogs in an economic machine. Mm-hmm. And so when I when I look at the the shackles, you know, that, that, that keep us in place, it is it is our economic system, it is debt, it is all of these things that we have piled on top of us that keep us 
needing to go down this perceived path. And I think that that conscious action is anything that we can do to to start to remove those shackles from ourselves. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I have been told to get a real life many, many times. <laughs> <laughs> Name one creative that hasn't. Yeah. Anything, anything you haven't had a chance to say that you'd like to share with our audience? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I, I think that what I would like to say is that there are so many people out there who, who are who are struggling out there and who are looking for ways that they can, they can simplify their life. And all I would say is, you know, don't, don't be afraid of the process, you know, just, just let it happen, do your research and, and know that you're not alone and that there are a lot of people out there who are on this journey with you. And there is a a whole world of untapped potential just waiting. Thanks. Thanks so much, Bryce. It's my pleasure. Bryce, it's such a pleasure to meet you. This has really been fun. It's great to be here. Hey, everybody. So this is the Pilgrim Lost Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We hope you keep coming back and listen to us. Don't forget to go to Living Big in a Tiny House and watch the episodes and look for Kari's episode in particular, which will be coming up soon. It hasn't already happened by the time we publish this. Who knows? But thanks so much. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for walking with us. To stay connected, visit us at pilgrimlost.com. Please comment, share, and respond.